Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase at one time, Two's company, but three's a crowd. Most of us, at one time or another, have probably been in some sort of a social situation where we felt like we were the odd person out. Maybe you were tagging along with a married couple or a dating couple and making things rather awkward for everyone. Maybe you were part of a larger group, but somehow you didn't quite fit in. You didn't seem to click with them. Perhaps you were part of a work effort or some sort of a team and you didn't feel like you were contributing. Sometimes it's us in those situations and sometimes it may be someone else. That's the way it is with many people at many times. They're hanging around, it seems. They get noticed to some degree. They may even do quite a bit of good at one time or another. But for some reason, they never seem to quite make it into the limelight. They never quite seem to grab the attention that others around them do. It almost seems that if they weren't around, it wouldn't be such a big deal to everybody. Do you ever get that feeling about the Holy Spirit? I mean, after all, we've got God the Father, right? Creator of heaven and earth and all that. And after our human ancestors goofed up His creation by sinning and continuing to sin, God promised that He would send a Savior to make things right again. You know the story as well as anyone. The Son became a man, Jesus. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross, taking away all of your sins. He came back to life, showing that He had power over sin, death, and the devil. He sent His followers out to tell everyone that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. The apostles did this. The church grew, and Christians have been doing that ever since, right? End of story? Well, as the Hertz car commercial says, not exactly. We know that's not quite right. In fact, if there were a lot of thoughts and recollections being conjured up in your mind as I gave that oversimplified story of creation and redemption, that's a good thing. Creation and prophecy, incarnation and redemption, resurrection and evangelism. We know that a big part of that story is missing. One of the main players is a no-show. As John Madden might say, Hey, wait a minute! Where's the Holy Spirit? Isn't He part of the team, too? He isn't just an afterthought, is He? Maybe we ought to take a closer look. To hear some of our neo-evangelical or Pentecostal brethren speak of faith, you'd think that it was all about the Holy Spirit. For every single aspect of life, from which car to buy to how to run the government, it seems that the guidance of the Holy Spirit is sought. Some folks want to constantly have a tangible feeling of the Holy Spirit's power and direction, providing them confidence, 
letting them know that they're doing the right thing. Perhaps we might not bring the Holy Spirit into the realm of all of our secular decisions such as purchases or governance to such a degree, but maybe we could take one lesson from these fellow Christians. That is, it wouldn't hurt to keep the Holy Spirit in a more prominent place in the Trinity and in our lives. Don't get me wrong. Preaching Christ crucified must always remain at the heart of the Christian message. I'm not at all suggesting that if you don't have a warm feeling in your hearts, sparked by the Holy Spirit, you somehow aren't saved or that you're somehow a lesser sort of Christian. There are those, of course, who insist that unless you have a dramatic conversion experience, we can't be certain of our salvation. Others say that it's only through tangible signs of the Spirit's presence, such as speaking in tongues or performing miraculous healings, that we can prove that we are in a state of grace. However, such ideas make it all about us and our actions. And those who hold such ideas are rightly condemned in our church's confessions as schwermerai, enthusiasts. They have wrongly separated faith and salvation from the objective realities of the means of grace that God has revealed to us, His Word and His sacraments. They have made salvation subjective, dependent upon human emotion, human thoughts, and human actions. Instead, we know that our hope rests not in ourselves, not in our abilities or our emotions or our accomplishments, but rather in the work of God. And this work is the work of the entire Trinity. The Father who sent the Son, the Son who came and died, and yes, the Holy Spirit too. To a greater extent than we sometimes realize, our salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. We confess as Christians in creed and in song that we believe in and worship one God in three persons. <clears throat> Within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, relationships exist. The Scriptures, the creeds, the Lutheran confessions, and many other expressions of our faith describe the relationships within the Godhead. Now, relationships can only truly exist among persons, not between persons and things, or between persons and impersonal powers. To have a healthy relationship each person must be conscious of his own existence, of his own place, of his own function. When we view the Holy Spirit as a lesser form of God, as simply a power of God rather than a person of God, we are guilty of sinning. We are guilty of minimizing the Holy Spirit's person, of reducing His Godness, of viewing Him not as God, but merely as a characteristic or a feature of God rather than as God Himself. As we look at the Holy Spirit in our epistle lesson today, let us keep in mind a very important fact. The Holy Spirit is not just a power. He is a person. He speaks, He lives, and He works. As a person, the Holy Spirit is capable of relationships outside the Godhead too. As God, He has relationships with every single one of His fallen sinful creatures, from Adam to you and to me. 
From the first of all sinners to the greatest of all sinners. It's a relationship that has been broken by sin, but he is committed to mending it. Like any other broken relationship, the first step in coming to reconciliation is to speak, to communicate a concern about that relationship and a commitment to making it better. A commitment of love, of hope, of intent. We do say in the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit who spoke by the prophets. This person of God from earliest of times came to ordinary human beings and communicated to them and through them so that God's people might hear of His commitment to them. These concerns and these commitments were recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures which speak themselves of this phenomenon. The book of Hebrews tells us that God spoke to His people of old by the prophets. And the whole Testament is full of references to when the Spirit of God came to these men to communicate His will and their intentions, His law and His gospel. In St. Peter's second epistle, the apostle writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We too continue to be spoken to by God. Not through a direct revelation to our hearts and our minds as some might desire or imagine. That is dangerous to our souls. For words which are heard or generated from within ourselves can be both weak and deceptive. Instead, we rely on the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the certain and true words that He has revealed to us and recorded in the Holy Scriptures. These are the words that convey the promises of baptism. Words that bestow the forgiveness of sins in absolution. Words that recount Christ's presence in His Holy Supper. It is why we speak and we sing and we pray God's words in the liturgy of worship and not our own words. He speaks to us in His perfection and we rightly speak back to Him when we offer His own words back to Him. In addition to speaking, the Holy Spirit also lives. More than that, the Holy Spirit is life itself. From the very beginning of creation, when the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters on a formless earth, life has been linked inextricably to the Holy Spirit. Adam's lungs were filled with the Spirit of God, which made him into a living being. Again from the Creed, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life. Going back to the second article of both the Apostles and the Nicene Creeds, we note with awe and with wonder that even the very incarnation of Christ, the Son of God becoming living flesh, took place because of the life which the Holy Spirit provides. We confess He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in one creed. And He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the other. Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones being brought to life is a vivid example of the life-giving power of the Lord's Holy Spirit. Not only is Ezekiel brought to the valley by the Spirit, but the very same Hebrew word ruach, breath or spirit, is used several more times in that story 
to indicate just how it would be that these dry bones would be brought to life. In the verse just before the beginning of today's epistle lesson from Romans 8, Paul tells us that it was not the Father who raised the Son from the dead, and not the Son Himself, but rather the Spirit, this Lord and Giver of life that we regularly confess as a church. Paul goes on to say that the very same Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies, raising us to life eternal. And it's a good thing that He will. For without the Holy Spirit, our Lord and Giver of life, we would not only be lifeless in the physical sense, we would be dead in our sins and trespasses as well. We would be as dry and as dead and as hopeless as those bones Ezekiel saw in the valley. Without the Holy Spirit, our bodies would be doomed to rot forever and decay in the hopelessness of the grave. And our souls would be destined to languish and suffer eternally in the fires and torments of hell. But the reason that we need not fear this, the reason that we can be confident in our hearing of the Gospel and in the promises of life eternal that it has made to us, is also the Holy Spirit. For in addition to speaking to us, to giving us our earthly lives, the person of the Holy Spirit also works faith in us. In our hearing of His speaking, in the words of the Scripture and baptism, in preaching and in supper, He bestows and strengthens and perfects the gift that He has given to us. Trust in all of the promises that were made by the Father and fulfilled by the Son. This is not ordinary work, and it certainly is not human work. It is divine work, the work of God, work that can only be accomplished by Him who is fully God. The Spirit spoke to you, the Spirit worked in you, and the Spirit gave you life. Let's not leave it as just a past tense reality, however. God makes clear in Paul's letter, too, that this speaking, this working, and this living are ongoing activities of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that has spoken to you through the Scriptures continues to speak to us in God's Holy Word, to us and through us. To us, as is indicated in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And through us, as is indicated in verses 15 and 16, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Because the Spirit speaks to us and through us, we are blessed with His power whenever we have the opportunity to learn and to speak His words and to carry them out in our daily lives, in our personal devotions, in our witnessing to our neighbors, in our prayers for the unsaved and the unfortunate. And yes, He even works in us and through us when we fill out our financial pledges on how much we will contribute to the work of God's kingdom. The question then becomes, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in these matters? Or do we let other spirits, selfish and prideful spirits, control our lives? The Spirit that has worked in us also works with us. As He daily convicts us of our sins and drives us to repentance, and as God forgives those sins, we are renewed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Not cooperating in our salvation, of course, but in living our lives and in furthering His kingdom.
this work, this not living according to the sinful nature work, is part of the obligation of which Paul speaks in verse 12. For if we live according to the sinful nature and not the Spirit, we have pushed away all of God, not just a part of Him. Our work is not an earning of our salvation or an earning of our adoption as God's children, but rather it is an indication, a response, a sign of the precious gift of our salvation and adoption. It is the outward manifestation of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, one sign of which is our wanting to share the gospel message with others through the work of the church. Lastly, the same Spirit that gives us life both now and for eternity, also lives within us, and we in Him. By the Spirit, we are given the gift of faith. By the Spirit, our sinful nature is put to death. By the Spirit, we are made children of God. By the Spirit, we are made free of the fear of condemnation, free to serve enthusiastically, free to love liberally, free to give generously. Jesus promised that He would send His Spirit to His apostles and through those apostles to His church. He promises that His Spirit will be with His followers forever. He has come to dwell in you as you were reborn in water and word and spirit in your own baptism. Your body is the Holy Spirit's temple which will be resurrected by that same Spirit on the last day just as Jesus was raised from the tomb. We must, of course, never lose sight of the cross, of the suffering and death of Jesus and all that it meant. We should be ever mindful of the sacrifice He made for us and the love which it demonstrated. Yet as we do, let us remember that we are made children of not just the Father, but also children of the fullness of the one true God, Father, Son, and yes, Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit the person as well as the power, is fully and truly God, who with the Father and the Son is yours to be worshipped and praised now and forevermore. Amen.